We have been working through a series uh, in John chapter 15 called Walking with Jesus. Last week we talked about being uh, friends, not servants. In this text where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. And we're going to spend a bit of time reviewing some of what we've talked about last week and in the previous weeks because review is very healthy. Because if you're anything like me, you need to hear things a lot of times before they begin to sink from here to here. So we'll do a little, a little bit of review and then kind of push this theme of being a son or a daughter rather than a servant or a slave a little bit further. Uh, so this is, our, this is our text, John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master, his master's, does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that uh, I learned from my father, I have made known to you. The idea of being servants and slaves tend to be quite distant. They don't know all the, the intimate details in a relationship, yet friends do. Uh, friends are close. They, they hear words of connection and, and of intimacy. Uh, but as we, we saw... Um, as we talked about last week, that we see this idea of, of God calling us as friends uh, becomes much deeper after the resurrection. Because the language after the resurrection uh, turns more into the language of God saying, you are my son or you're my daughter. And uh, I mean, those of you who are parents, if you have kids, uh, which would obviously be if you're a parent, <laughs> uh, but you, 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 there's, your kids have a special place in your heart more so than your friends. I mean, you love your friends, you care for your friends, you want to be there for your friends, but when it comes to your kids, there's something that is so special in your heart, and this is the way God looks at us. Uh, we all have an incredibly special spot in, in His heart as He looks at us and calls us sons and daughters. And we see this in 1 John chapter 3, where uh, it says, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. And if you're here and like, well, I, I'm not, you know, I couldn't possibly be one of his kids, that is what you are. So what John is saying, this is who you are. You are a child of God. And as, as we constantly mention here, you're a dearly loved child. Because it's possible maybe you grew up in a home where you were sort of the unwanted child or the less liked child, and you know how families sometimes work in our broken world. And sometimes we can carry that on to the picture of God where, you know, God really loves, you know, certain people like missionaries and those who, you know, do crazy things. But, you know, me, I'm just kind of normal and I work at a gas station. I must be kind of like the, the unwanted child or the less loved child. No. You are a dearly loved child no matter who you are. Because it's not based on what you do. This is, this is a gift that God has given us out of his, out of his own loving heart. And Romans 8 uh, echoes this idea of what Jesus says, you are no longer a servant or a slave, but you are, you are a friend or you are a child of God. Romans 8 says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. Now, the Holy Spirit in you does not make you a slave. And if you feel a lot of control and a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, burdens on your back, it's probably not the Spirit of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship or being a daughter. And by him we cry, Abba, which is an intimate word for father, Papa, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And, and sometimes if you just, you know, just kind of feel distant, or maybe you don't feel like a child of God, you just got to say, you know, Father, what do you think of me? Father, what do you think of me in this moment? And the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are his kids. And often when you say, just, Father, what do you think about me? Even, even when you just, you're at your worst, Father, what do you think about me? You'll hear words, oh, I love you so much. Or I'm there for you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Because God speaks to our spirit. And he speaks to our spirit on this issue. Similarly, Galatians 4, 7 echoes the same theme again. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And uh, last week, we spent some time uh, discussing the difference between living out of this reality of being a son or a daughter, or living out of this reality of, of thinking that somehow you're primarily a, a slave or a servant to God. Where servants and slaves, they, they tend to focus more on direction and correction, because that's what servants do. I mean, God, tell me what to do, and tell me when to do it wrong. And uh, they tend to be more distant. And sometimes Christians can live like this. That their entire prayer life is only about, God, tell me what to do and uh, tell me when I need to repent. <laughs> and that's their entire prayer life. There's no time to spend in intimacy, no time to spend in relationship because they see themselves more as a servant and a slave. Where, where sons and daughters focus more on connection and intimacy, uh, they understand that fruit, fruitfulness comes from uh, connection with God and, and the whole idea of you know, God being the vine and, and we're the branches and when we remain in him, we bear much fruit. That the true fruitfulness, it comes from living out of a, a relationship as a son and daughter. Especially when we're talking about the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentlemen. Those things don't come out of a slave mentality because you tend to be more judgmental and you don't tend to be uh, as loving and as at rest. You tend to strive and perform and want to outdo others and, and push others down. Where When you're living as a son and daughter, it's, it's, you've just been, as, as the Bible says, you know, because he's loved us, we, we love other people. And so we want to live more out of this idea of being a son or a daughter. And again, uh, we, are, we are held as sons and daughters. We're not, again, distant sons and daughters. And we keep mentioning this verse because it's been a theme through John 13, 14, 15, where Jesus says, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, we, we are being held by the Father. And even through a crisis like this, I mean, if you begin, begin to fear, all you've got to do is use your, your imagination to bring the, tr the reality of the truth that right now, as a son and daughter, you are being held in the loving arms of the Father Son and Holy Spirit, that you are in Him and He is in you, and th that you're not distant. As Baxter Kruger says, the stunning truth is that this triune God, in amazing and lavish love, determined to open the circle and share the Trinitarian life with others. This is the one eternal and abiding reason for the creation of the world and of human life. Before the creation of the world, the Father, Son, and Spirit set their love upon us and planned to bring us to share and, and know and experience the Trinitarian life itself. 
Unto this end, the cosmos was created into being and the human race was fashioned that we were designed to be in relationship with God. We were designed to live out of this idea of being a son or a daughter of God. And of course, the question sometimes comes out of, well, well, I'm no longer a servant. I'm a son and daughter. Then why does the Bible call us servants? And it does. You know, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, uh, Colossians 1, 7, Christ's faithful servant. And sometimes we will say, you know, you know, I serve God or I'm a, you know, I serve him, I serve with my whole heart and, and that's okay. And those are good words, but we realize that to be a servant as a son and daughter is different than being a servant as a slave. And we looked at this phrase that the, we are sons and daughters, not because we serve, we serve because we are sons and daughters that we serve out of love. And the most deep kind of service always flows out of love, out of a loving marriage, out of a loving relationship between sons and daughters can be the deepest kind of service. Um, but slaves, I mean, just that service is, is not always flowing from the heart, but it's flowing out of duty and striving and performance. I mean, we are not sons and daughters because we serve. And sometimes we think that, that, you know, you know I really messed up this week, so I got to read a whole lot of the Bible and really worship really hard for God to like me again. You know, he must be really teched at me, so I got to do all these things somehow to get back to this place where God is holding me. Well, God is still holding you, even when you're messy. Uh, we don't earn our sonship. It, it, it is a gift. And, and often the Bible talks about this in, in the idea of a gift. I mean, the famous verse in Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation or being a son or a daughter is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I mean, it is a gift. And God holding out his arms and you are my son, you are my daughter, it is a gift. And yet sometimes we can fall in this place where we, we strive for it, we perform, we, you know, we, 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 we think we've earned it. And the moment you think you've earned it, you will look at everybody else and demand that they earn it as well. You know, you got to be like me, you got to do all the stuff that I'm doing, look at how hard I serve, and I'm a son or daughter because I've earned it, and you better earn it too, and you end up being, you know, kind of a judgmental person. It's a gift. Uh, Ephesians 1 says, even before the world was made, God loved us and chose us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. This is before the world, was, this is before you did anything good or bad. And so it's not dependent on whether you're good or bad. This is a gift from God. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gives the Father great pleasure just to hold you in his arms. And this is where life flows from. This is where service flows from. This, this place that I am I'm so loved by my Father. I'm so loved by Jesus. I'm so loved by the Holy Spirit. And I get to participate in, in all the love that is going on uh, within them. Now, I want to push this uh, teaching a little further by looking at the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, because the parable of the prodigal son is, is, kind of helps us with this difference between a servant or slave or, or a son and daughter. And in Luke 15... Um, the whole chapter begins this way. It says, The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around 
to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And if you read through the Gospels, you often see that the religious leaders, uh, Pharisees, and tax, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and those folks, were constantly complaining uh, about Jesus hanging around with, with tax collectors and sinners and, and, you know, kind of the low life of, of the city because they would never do that because they thought that would make them unclean. And, and uh, many of the, you know, the Pharisees would never even eat out of something, uh, a piece of pottery that was made by a Gentile. Uh, they wouldn't touch things that were, you know, unclean to them because they had to be pure and, and, and in the sense that they had to, to, to stay away from all that mess. And so Jesus was constantly eating with tax collectors and sinners, hanging out with them, you know, connecting with Samaritans, going into to places that were unclean. And, and so they were constantly like, why are you doing this? In fact, in Mark 2, there's this, this, this little verse that says this. It says, Levi invited Jesus along uh, and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And in those days, when you ate with somebody, it was more like that you, you know, you're, you're in, you know, a camaraderie. There's, there's, a, there's a connection there that's deeper than when we eat with people. Uh, as Jesus was hanging out with these people, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And, and it says this, there were Many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I mean, Jesus invited these people to follow him. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't just the 12 that followed him. There were a lot of people that followed him around, including some of these folks. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Sometimes you'll even hear that in the church, you know, how could you hang out with such a person like that, you know? You know, this, 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 this idea that somehow I've earned my sonship and therefore you've got to earn it too and you, to earn it, you better not hang out with those kind of people. But Jesus did. And why did Jesus hang out with those kind of people? Because he loved them. You remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, this cry found in Hosea of God to his people where he says, Oh, how can I give up on you, Israel, or whoever it is? How can I let you go? My heart is torn within me. My compassion overflows. And, and Jesus looks at the tax collectors and the sinners and people like you and me, and his heart is just flowing. He's like, how can I not hang out with them? How can I not love them? How can I not have compassion for them? And so in response to the Pharisees, like criticizing Jesus for hanging out with tax and collectors, uh, uh, tax collectors and other folks, Jesus in Luke 15 tells three stories, bang, 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 to uh, make a point to the Pharisees. And he tells the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son, or famously known as the prodigal son. And, and so he begins the story with, with the lost sheep, where the shepherd, you know, he's got a hundred sheep, but one wanders off. And, and he doesn't just say, well, I got 99, that's just fine. He goes and he searches for that lost sheep and he searches and he searches and he searches till he finds that sheep and he brings that sheep home and uh, he actually has a whole party. He has a party with his friends. He's so excited. And again, Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm going to tax collectors and sinners. It's, you know, this is a good thing. And when, when, when they open up their heart to me, I have a party. This is because I'm, I love them and I'm compassionate towards them. And, and then he tells the, the, the story of the lost coin, this woman who has 10 coins and, and loses one and doesn't just say, well, that's fine, I got nine. 
she sweeps the floor and, you know, looks through all the dust trying to find this coin, and she finally has it. And when she finally finds the coin, she invites all her friends over to have a party. <laughs> and again, this is the heart of God towards people. The heart of God is like, I am not going to give up on you. I will continue to pursue you. I'm going to continue looking for you because how can I give, give up on you? And then he gets to the story of the, the prodigal son. And, um, and, and I'm going to read this and make a few points. So he says, to illustrate this point further, again, making this point to the, the religious Pharisees, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And you know, in this day and age, you might say, well, that's a little rude of you saying that, but it might not be the end of the world in this day. But back in that day, this is about the most disrespectful, rude thing you could ever possibly say. In fact, here is what one theologian, commentator said about this. He says, to ask for the inheritance while a father is still alive is to wish him dead. A traditional Middle Eastern father can only respond one way. He is expected to refuse and drive the boy out of the house with verbal, if not physical, abuse. I mean, this is the day when the fathers ruled, right? And, uh, and a son asking for, you know, inheritance. I mean, I mean, the fathers of the day would just kick him out and say, you know, you're no, no, no longer my son. But, but Jesus is making a point. Because the father in this picture is a picture of the heavenly father. And this father is radically different. His father doesn't, you know, drive him out with physical abuse. This father actually agrees and actually gives the son who is wanting to run away, he gives his son half his wealth when in reality he would have only received a third because the oldest would always get the double portion. And so he's, he's generous towards the son who, who even has this rebellious heart. And it's amazing, even in our rebellion, how God can still shine his goodness on us. And even a rebellion that there's still this, this love that is trying to, to, bring us, to bring us home. So a few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money and wild living. I mean, all this that the father worked for, uh, he gives to his son, and the son takes it and he wastes it on, on selfish living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Can you imagine being so desperate that, you know, pig food looked good? That's pretty desperate, if you've ever seen pig food, if you've ever seen pigs. Uh, I mean, he's starving. <laughs> and so uh, he has got this, this famous line. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Please just make me a slave. Just make me a servant. Which if you read into this, uh, 
it may be seen, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, that maybe at one time he actually thought himself worthy. Or somehow at one time he had earned it. That one time he thought, you know, I'm a good son, or I'm serving, I'm doing all those things, so I'm, I'm, I've earned your sonship, but now because I've, you know, been living so horribly and wasted all your money, that now I've lost that. And again, sometimes we can live that out in our Christianity. You know, when I'm doing well, when I'm reading my Bible and going to church and doing all this stuff for God, you know, I'm a, I have earned my sonship, but man, when I've messed up and I've just had all these bad words going in the back of my head and my marriage is falling apart because I've been selfish or whatever, you know, I'm just no longer worthy to be your son. So how's the father going to respond? You know, the son here is asking, just make me a servant. <laughs> you know, some people's view of God would be, God would be like, great, this is exactly what I'm looking for servants. You're hired, you know. How, how does he respond? It says, uh, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And again, commentators will note, will note here that fathers would never, ever do that in that culture. I mean, mothers might do that. Brothers and sisters might do that, but never a father. But here, because Jesus is painting a picture of who God is, this father is very different. He, he runs towards his son before he even knows what his son is going to say. Man, for all he knows, maybe his son's coming to steal more money, uh, but he doesn't care. He's got so much love for his son that he runs out toward and hugs him and embraces him and kisses him. I mean, I mean is this the picture you have of the father? I mean, maybe in your prodigal moments, is this the picture you have of your father? See, a lot of people would have a picture of a father like this. He's not running. He's sitting on the porch like this, angry. Oh, you dare to come home, do you? You better come up here and kneel down. And you better have a lot of words of repentance, and you better make this right because you have really screwed up. And there's just, there's just more anger, and there's no love. There's no embrace. Yeah, a lot of people have that picture of God. I mean, or is your picture of God more like the picture Jesus is painting? Oh, how can I give up you on you? The cry of Hosea, the cry of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The father runs and, and hugs his son. I mean, just picture for a moment one of your darkest moments. Any one of those moments that you're just, you're dreadfully ashamed of where you really, really hurt someone. Uh, maybe a moment that, uh, that you would never even tell anybody because it's so dark. And to picture that moment. And to picture God like just standing above that moment. Now, what do you see on his face? Do you see the angry father standing on the porch with his arm crossed? Or, or do you see a father who is holding you saying, hey, we can work through this together? I mean, Jesus here saying, Father is like one who runs towards you, runs out to, to hold you and to grasp you. Because again, if there's going to be any change, it happens in the presence of the Father. It doesn't happen through distance. I mean, the whole teaching has been Jesus is saying, if a man remains in me and I in you, if there is closeness, you will bear much fruit. So when you're at your worst, that's a moment where you need fruit. And that only happens in the brace and connection of the Father. And so don't lose this image of God holding you. Whether you're doing really well or really bad, don't lose this image of God holding you and embracing you. So, so this, the father runs up and his son says to him again, 
Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And as he said before, just make me a servant. So how's this father going to respond? Of course, the Pharisees would be thinking, well, of course he's going to make him his servant. He's never, never going to invite him back as a son. But Jesus says this, quick. So the father says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. He, he throws a party. <laughs> he throws a party. And note what he says. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Now whose robe would that be? That'd be the father's robe. Of course, in that culture, the father would have the finest robe and take the finest robe and put it on my son to cover his, his, I mean, he was feeding pigs. He had no money. He was not going to be able to buy new clothes to come home. His clothes would have been tattered and falling apart. And I'm going to clothe you and cover up your shame. That's what the father does. He clothes us in his righteousness. He clothes us and he covers our shame. He covers our guilt in his goodness and love. And then he says, get a ring for his finger. And of course, that would have been the signet ring, the ring of authority. And here's the son being incredibly rebellious. He comes home and right away the father says, you get this ring of authority, which meant he could go out to the market and buy and sell on the father's behalf. I mean, the, the, the graciousness and the acceptance coming from the father would just be making these Pharisees really angry. And sandals for his feet. Because servants and slaves in those days often walked barefoot. They didn't have sandals and feet. And here the father is saying, no, 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 you're not going to be a servant. You are my son. You are my son. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to give you authority as a son. And you're going to have sandals and shoes like a son. You see, it's a gift. It is a gift. Even when we are the prodigal, it's a gift. You don't earn it. It's just when you open your heart, it's a gift. And we live out of that. And this is the point that Jesus is making. But the main point, actually, of this parable is towards the, the older son here because he represents the Pharisee. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And you'd think this older brother would be like, this is awesome. <laughs> Having the same heart of the father. You'd think that this son who was living with the father would have the same heart of the father. This is amazing. My brother is back. I'm going to this party and I'm going to celebrate. This is, this is so amazing. But he didn't quite have that attitude. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Begged him to come into the party. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused. You see, he lived more as a, a servant, as a slave, than a son or a daughter. All these years I've slaved for you. I've earned my sonship. I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son. You have always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now 
he is, find, is found. A couple points here as we close. First of all, you see in this parable that both of these sons, they, they misunderstand the father's love. See, the younger son misunderstood the father's love and thinking that the father wasn't loving enough. My father could never love me enough to welcome me back as a son. Maybe as a servant, I don't know, but I'm going to try. He, he doubted the father's love. The older brother didn't think, uh, thought God's love was actually too big. How dare you love this younger son, <laughs> your younger son. He's he was using your money on prostitutes. You can't love him that much. I mean, and we find both sometimes in our heart. Or sometimes we think, oh, God can never love me now because look what I did. Or sometimes we're like, God, how could you love that person? I just want to, all these bad words, you know, in your back of your head. How could you love that person? But, uh, the, I mean, God is love. He, he just loves his kids. And it doesn't matter where they're at. He's like, just, just come into my arms. I want to welcome you in. I want to love you and rearrange you and transform you and allow fruit to flow in your life. They both misunderstood the Father's love. I mean, what... Son, to you, when it comes to God's love, where do you kind of tend to? Do you have more trouble believing that God isn't loving or that He's too loving? You know, sometimes people can say, you know, you know, spend too much time talking on the love of God, or you can overemphasize the love of God. Well, actually, you can over, over, overemphasize the love of God. And we see in Ephesians 3, Paul, he says, I fall to my knees and pray. I mean, this is a serious prayer. I fall to my knees and pray. He's talking about that we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I mean, it's impossible to overemphasize the love of God because it's, it's beyond our knowledge. It's, it's bigger and wider and taller and huger than we could ever imagine. And so we just, we just enter into what we know and we hang on and, and, and live in, into the Father's love. And lastly, we see, did you notice that the father actually pursued both of these sons? The one son, he runs to his son as the prodigal is coming home. But then there's the older kind of judgmental, I've earned this, I'm, a, I'm your slave son. The father actually comes out to him. And this is a lesson to the Pharisees, of course, that, you know, the father does pursue those who are messy, but also a lesson to the younger son that the father actually does pursue the Pharisee. You see, sometimes as if you're on the messy side of, you know, I've just been a horrible sinner and God saved me by grace, and then you look at, man, those Christians are so judgmental as you judge them, you know, you know. I can't believe that they just get it all together and, you know, they have no love in their heart you know, as you judge them. I mean, it can go both ways. And here's the father saying, I love both the prodigal and the Pharisee. I run to them both. I embrace them. I want to bring them in. How can I give up on you? So, Father, we just want to be reminded again of your love today. And God, in the midst of the craziness that is going on in this world, God, we just remind ourselves that we are held. Right now, we are being held by you. That we are your sons, that we are your daughters. And God, we just respond by saying, we love you. And God, we thank you that your love surpasses what we can even imagine. And we thank you, God, that you love both the prodigal and that you love the Pharisee. And God, we just pray that more and more our heart will become more like yours. In Jesus' name.